Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? The No Huddle Show. Elliot here. No Matt or Joe today. It's just me. But good news, we have a guest. And I'm super pumped to have this guy on because if you follow me on Twitter and you've been reading at me at NJ.com throughout the week, it's Howie Week. You know, it's all about Howie Roseman because as I look ahead to the 2017 season and the take on the Redskins this Sunday and people are talking about what they can do, what can't they do, to me, there's nobody that can really you, – you really have to understand if, they, if Howie's the right guy before you can talk about whether they're going to be good this year. I mean since 2010 when Howie was hired, over 900 moves this team has made. And Howie, you know, obviously 2015, he was out of power, but overall, Howie's had a say in almost all of them. So looking forward and deciding how this team could be, you really have to talk about Howie. So the um, thing with Howie is, and I've been writing this online, and I want to just give you my quick take on Howie before we get to uh, John Middlecoff, who was a scout for the team for three years, worked with Howie, was, Howard, was hired by Howie, and really got a firsthand look at Howie's first years as GM. Um, before we get into that, though, what I did on the site this week was I looked back at all the draft picks he's, he's made, all the trades he's made, and the signings. And to me, the one issue I think Howie had is his is his drafting. I think, you know, we talk about his player trades and we've talked about Ronald Darby and Jordan Matthews and, you know, those type of player for player deals he's made. And he has a perception as a great trader. And I, I think after look, reviewing his trades, there is some truth to that. I mean, you talk about him getting Cody Parkey who was a pro bowler in his first year. We'll see about Ronald Darby. I mean, some of these others, I mean, the Sam Bradford pick for a first round pick, some of these moves he's made have worked out. Um, but to me, where he's really missed is, is the drafting. Um, I looked at the 55 picks Howie's made since he became general manager and a few misses, needless to say. I mean, only 10 of the 47 picks from 2010 to 2014 turned into starters and only 13 players from the fit from from the overall 55 picks he's made from 2010 till the 2016 draft have become uh, starters. And by starters, I mean three or three or four years. So I think that's been an issue with Howie is getting guys from the draft, turning them into long term starters. And since he's missed in the draft, I think he's had to spend in free agency. You know, we've talked about some of the deals and John talks about them like Namdi Asamoah. Um, I know he wasn't here for DeMarco Murray, but stuff like that where there's been holes in this team. And then they've had to go out and, and sign big players to uh, make up for it. So I, I think that John, I, well, I already spoke to John and recorded this a little earlier, but um, I think what he had to say about Howie was fascinating. Uh, you know, really talking about how smart he thinks Howie is, how getting a firsthand view of Howie starting from the job at a young age to watching him grow, how he worked with people, which I think is some a criticism you've heard of Howie. Um, so we're going to get to John in a minute. But before we do, I just wanted to 
a few quick things because, um, you know, normally when Matt and Joe's here, the takes are flying so high, we can't ever really get to it. But I want to talk about what we have coming up now that the regular season is going to begin. So as you know, for the preseason, we've been giving you the instant reaction podcast after the game. We're going to keep doing that. So it's going to be me and Matt from whatever stadium the Eagles are playing at right after the game. And hopefully, you know, for one o'clock games, we might even get it up that day. But we'll always have fresh take right off the game ready for you Monday morning. That'll be if you're a subscriber, which you should be on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all those things. That'll be fresh in your iPod player, ready to go. The other thing we're going to have this season that I'm really excited about is me, Matt, and Joe are going to do a podcast every Tuesday. And, you know, I don't do radio. So I sometimes I get a chance to interact with you guys on Twitter and we always debate. And, you know, you know me with my hot, ta- hot takes, hashtag fire, hashtag 100. I always have opinions for you, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. So on Tuesday, we're going to record a show and we want your comments. We want your takes on the game from Sunday to Tuesday. What are your hot takes? What do you think of the game? Well, how did Carson play? Where are some mistakes Doug made? And we're going to have two ways for you to really interact with us and get on the show. The first is going to be uh, just tweet anything you want with hashtag the no huddle show and we'll read it on the podcast. Or you can email us if it's over 140 characters the no huddle show at njadvancemedia.com that's the no huddle show at njadvancemedia.com and i'll put that in the description of this episode so you can uh you can have that if you need it so super excited about that excited to get joe back in the fold a whole bunch more with me and matt um and excited to hear from you guys so sunday we're gonna have the instant reaction podcast for you and then Tuesday, we're going to have the hot takes, you know, more we'll have talked to Doug and we'll have your type of stuff in that podcast. So very excited about that. But the season's not here yet. And before it does, like I said, real, real excited how this interview with John went. So without further ado, I'm going to play the John interview. Like I said, pro scout for the Eagles from 2010 to 2012, West Coast scout from 2012 to 2013, was there for a little bit of chip, was there for Howie, worked with Doug. So here's John. All right, guys, we are here with John Middlecoff, a former pro scout for the Eagles, also a West Coast scout, and now one of the writers out in the Bay Area. You can catch him on The Athletic, and also he has a new podcast, Haberman and Middlecoff. And if you ask me, one of the best Periscope people on Twitter. John, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Hey, nowadays, Periscope, it, it's good. You know, it's that new age media. It's good to be uh, get that compliment. So, no, you're definitely a good follower. Yeah, no, no question. I'm, yeah. I'm a millennial, and I'm here for the millennials. There you go. Exactly. So um, everyone should follow him on Twitter. He has a lot of really good football takes. And I will say during the draft, too, your time as a scout makes you one of the good followers on Twitter. But um, for Eagles fans here, uh, your time work, working with the team was what I really wanted to talk to you about. But before we get into that, um, one thing I think a lot of you know, draft Twitter always wonders, and especially Eagles fans. So what is being a scout like? I mean, how did you get into that? Um, What made you decide to get into that? And, uh, you know, what was your time as a scout like? You know, I think some people, like in anything in life, are born and pretty early on in life, they aspire to do something. That's Mm -hmm. not necessarily how it happened with me in scouting and football. I just, when I got to college, like a lot of people, I stopped playing sports because I wasn't good enough to play football. I also was a golfer, but I wasn't good enough to golf on the college team. And and then a couple of years in, I started working for the athletic program. And then I was just kind of got drawn back to football. I was going to school at Cal Poly. People in Philly may remember that's where Chris Gokong went to school. Wow, that's and uh, I started. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know we were producing. Um, I mean, Chris was the highest drafted guy, but, you know, we had some mid-round type guys. I started working for the program, 
And then when I graduated, uh, I had the opportunity through football to get a graduate assistant job, which it's one of the, you know, kind of launching pads for a lot of people, for a lot of coaches. And this one was in, was kind of in scouting, was in recruiting, which is essentially the same thing in, at Fresno State. So then I did that for a couple of years. And through that job, I was able to meet so many, every scout was coming through. And my second year there, we had, you know, another Philly tie now, Ryan Matthews, who at the time was, his career didn't quite go as planned, but he was an exceptional college player. And it was pretty clear he was going to go in the first round, or at least in the mix. So, I mean, we had so many people coming through, and one of my jobs was just to interact with those guys. At the time, technology's changed a little bit. We used VHS tapes, and so when scouts wow. would come through, they'd want to watch a game, and you'd take them down to a little film room and throw on a VHS tape for them. And uh, it was just, you know, pretty incredible kind of uh, opportunity for me to meet all these guys. And, you know, I developed a pretty close relationship with Anthony Patch, who's still with the Eagles now. And he helped me get kind of a, an interview with, uh, with, with Howie. And Pat Hill at Fresno State had known Andy Reid for like 30 years. He had recruited him when he was coming out of college. He was at Utah, and they they were trying to get him to commit. He ended up obviously going to BYU, but and he called him for me, and then I went and interviewed, and I actually got hired on the spot. And then I just it kind of took off from there. But uh, you know, a California kid that ended up in Philly, it was it was pretty wild. Yeah, so you said you interviewed with Howie. Um, Howie's obviously a guy Eagles fans talk about a lot. And I would say one of the more controversial GMs in the league in general just because of the way he got the job. He's not a quote-unquote football guy. Um, you know, I think that's sometimes an unfair criticism. But my question is, what was your initial impression of Howie like, um, without going into the specifics of the actual interview, but what was your uh, perception of him like when you first met him? Well, it's funny. Looking back, I, the three people I talked to, were Howie, Lewis Riddick, and Brett Veach. <laughs> Obviously, you know, one guy runs the Eagles, one guy is the GM of the Chiefs, and Lewis is becoming a TV star. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know that much about him. You know, being in California, he had just – I think he had just become the GM. This was I, – I interviewed after the draft in 2010, so it was like Brandon Graham and Nate Allen yeah. and that crew of guys. So I, I think he had become the GM, you know, maybe – four or five months before and Tom Heckert and those guys had just left to Cleveland. So I, I really kind of went in there, open my, not knowing anything. Uh, obviously I knew a lot about Andy Reed mm -hmm. just because they had had so much success, but Howie just, you know, pretty aggressive young guy. They, they, they really had a young energetic staff when I walked in, like again, Brett Beach at the time was probably in his mid thirties. Lewis was a younger guy. It just was not, not many NFL front offices uh, probably when I walked in had kind of that young vibe. Obviously, Andy had been there a long time, but, you know, it was just, just a lot of energy when, when I went in. And clearly, I got to know him. I mean, he's, he's really sharp. I mean, he's yeah. out here in the Bay Area. It's different, but, you know, a guy that I think inspired a lot of guys like that was Billy Bean. And, and you know, B Billy kind of gets a knock from being an analytical guy strictly, and he is, obviously. But he was like a blue-chip player and got drafted. Anyone that's seen that movie got drafted really high. 
Well, Howie obviously never played, but the one thing I think a lot of analytical people get knocked on is they just strictly go off the numbers and they don't even care about the film. Like having had a front row seat, like I, I know Howie is very active in watching players and he really enjoys watching the players. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if he quite get enough credit and just, he, he does enjoy that a lot. You know, the, the aspect and the process of when it comes to college or pro guys watching the guys. And that's, you know, out here in the Bay Area, we Trent Balky for years was kind of known as a scout scout. And same thing with Reggie McKenzie. You know, that's all they consider. You know, they get all the credit for just watching watching the guys. That's all they do. You know, and I, I think Howie probably doesn't get enough credit for doing that. So you touched on it a little bit about, um, you know, you know how he watched film, but was also analytical. So what was what was working with Howie like? I mean, when you first came here, you were a pro scout. Um, for those that might not know, if you could just describe a little bit what life of a pro scout is in the NFL. And then how was how was your initial um, interactions with Howie once you did get the job? Yeah, I mean, I was the lowest guy in the totem pole. So I was doing, you know, basically picking guys up at the airport. Uh, you know, printing constant lists when guys would get injured. I, I was doing a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, he was just, it was just a very aggressive workplace. And that's just the nature of the NFL. Uh, but obviously expectations, you know, in the building were really high. You know, I mean, the, the franchise, the standard, the bar was high. It was just, it, it was intense. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's no way around it. He was just, you know, he had a high standard. Everyone in the room had a high standard. It was just, uh, you know, for a guy in his mid twenties, it was just, uh, it was an intense environment, but it was, it was a healthy, you know, uh, fun environment, I guess, in terms of just, there was no doubt what the goal was. Uh, and then that, by that, that first year was, you know, the year Kevin Cobb got knocked out and then Michael Vick came in and we were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a really explosive offense, and then that playoff game when lost to the eventual champs, Green Bay. But that off season was pretty crazy. Obviously, going into the lockout, and <clears throat> again, really high expectations. We were going to be aggressive, and it clearly didn't work out. Looking back, but you know that was there was a plan, and I mean the plan was executed. <laughs> I mean at the time, yeah. like say what you want about Namdi, and it turned out like he was physically shot. But I think the mindset and, I mean, there were three – I mean, the Jets at the time were the best defense in the league, and they, they were doing everything possible to get a hold of them. So it's just sometimes the NFL – I mean, you see it every year that a big free agent, you know, physically he was shot. But I think the mindset and just how – I was always impressed. I mean, we were – just in terms of the guys we were locked in on, uh, you know, we had so many smart people in the front office with Lewis – Beach, I mean, obviously the success they've had, uh, and just a lot of other young scouts that, you know, people listening probably wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. So Howie, as you mentioned, was a GM at a young age. Um, I think people that have since left the building, I would say it's, you know, a little mixed in terms of how they perceived working with Howie. Um, but my question is, you said when you came in, it was a young front office in general, but Around the building, I mean, were people skeptical of Howie getting this job originally? Were people excited? I mean, how did you feel um, since you got there right at the beginning of his time as a GM? How did you feel people kind of perceived him? Uh, it was probably mixed. I mean, like anything, obviously some people were probably jealous. 
Uh, other yeah. people, you know, thought he had, I mean, he's definitely been there a long time. At, 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 when I first got there, he had a, obviously a close relationship with Joe Banner. Uh, and that was probably one of a big reason that he got the job. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I didn't know Joe that well. And again, like when I was coming from not being from Philadelphia, I didn't know a lot of the backstories. Right. So I came in pretty fresh in terms of understanding the the depth and the tenure of all these guys and everything that had happened over the previous 10 years with, you know, from I didn't even know who Tom Hecker was, you know. <laughs> And so when I got there, like that whole story didn't really, whether why he left or whatever happened, I, I didn't necessarily maybe could grasp exactly what was going on. Uh, I, I, you know, he had been there so long, and I, I think there was a comfort level in the front office, and they were trying to keep things coming. Again, Andy was the boss. You know, right. I mean, it was, if Andy wanted something to happen, it was, I mean, it was basically – maybe a little different, but closer to New England than some of these operations. So, I mean, I, and I, it's not like I was going into these meetings where it was just like Andy and Allie. Now, I was in on the personnel meetings with the whole staff, but like any football operation, when there are meetings, I don't necessarily like – it's a closed-door meeting with Jeffrey, Andy, and Allie. You know, I, I wasn't privy to those at the time, that's for sure. So, so- – no, sorry. Well, go ahead. You're getting back to your question. I, I think I think a lot of people probably everyone had their different experiences. I, I came in. He had hired me. He had given me an opportunity. He believed in me, so I was I was all in. What do you feel after working in the building for? <clears throat> a little, I think it was around three years. Um, what do you feel some of his strengths are, and then also some of his weaknesses? Uh, strengths. I mean, obviously, he's really, really sharp. Really, really aggressive. Uh, you know, being a New York guy has that New York mentality, uh, you know, pretty well, obviously clearly willing to do anything. The understanding of value, which, as you saw with Chip Kelly, was his greatest weakness. And in, in a business, like ultimately football is a business. And I think that's why like Belichick gets so much credit, just because his understanding of players and what their value is for the league when it comes to money, uh, that, that clearly is really important. And it's no different with trades in the draft, like what draft trades and what picks are worth. It's basically a marketplace where guys are going to go in the draft, you know, where you need to draft them, when you can pass on a guy because you know he's going to be in another round. His memory and ability to know exactly, like, the history of the last 20 years and it's pretty unreal. I mean, he's and you see these last couple of years of him making all these trades since they booted Chip out. Like right. Chip, you can't just like cutting Deshaun Jackson for nothing. That just you know you can't do things like that in the NFL. And you see it time and time again, like coaches that don't because sometimes coaches don't have a great understanding of that. When they don't like a guy, they just get rid of him because they just don't like him. But you you have to be careful doing that in the NFL. And I, I think that Howie is excellent. It's, you know, being able to value players, being able to take advantage of like the Ronald Darby trade, stuff like that. That just, he's clearly able to do it time and time again. And I, I think I'm sure we'll get into this guy here in a little bit, but you look back at that Wentz trade. I mean, <laughs> Wentz is going to be really good. I mean, that trade is going to be, it's going to look like a steal 
you know, he didn't really give up that much. When you look at like what Chip would have been willing to give up for Mariota, you know, no, nowhere near. That's what they had to get to get Carson Wentz. So right. I, I think value is it, so important in the NFL because it's the only way to sustain, uh, you know, competitiveness. And, and again, weaknesses. You know, it's just probably like anyone when they first become a manager, just being able to deal with people. And I, I've never been in that position, having you know a lot of people work for you. So it's just it's not easy. And I, I think whenever you get you know, a lot of, there's just so many ambitious people in the NFL, a lot of egos. It's, it's not easy to deal with. And I think you look time and time again at every organization, most of them have, you know, just some infighting. And clearly I think he's learned. It feels like they've the last two or three years since they've kind of got the new operation going since chip left, feel like they're pretty, pretty consistent and not having any problems. So you mentioned but that. I, I also, I also, I also think looking back, when you start, when you start losing, uh, as we did in Philadelphia, uh, toward that, toward Andy's last year, and then you had Chip. It was just such a curveball. You know, I don't think we've really seen anything quite like that in the NFL. So I, maybe it was destined to fail, regardless. You know, if Ozzie Newsom had been there, you know, I, I don't know if it was, if anyone would have worked with that. So I believe you were in the building or still right around the team when Chip came in. Am I, am I correct in saying that? I, I, I was there during the draft period, yeah. So yes. Yeah. So what was it like when, when Chip Andy came got in? Fired, and had, I was actually I was right. actually doing I was doing the West Coast. So I, I okay. was I was living on the West Coast doing Oregon, and then he got hired, and then going back for meetings a couple times. How, how do you think um, that kind of you just mentioned? You know, maybe one of Howie's weaknesses is potentially how he deals with people as being a boss. And, you know, the, I think the relationship between him and Chip has been well documented. But how do you think Chip coming in since you were there at the beginning? I, I guess what I said, I said maybe maybe that was a weakness like previously. I, I don't know what it's like now. Right, I right, mean, right. Yeah. Right. But how do you think Chip coming in impacted Howie? And what was it like in the in the building? I know you're on the West Coast, but in the organization when that did happen. You know, I – it's hard because when you work in the building every day, you you get a pretty good feel for it. But when you're a road scout and you're outside of the building, you don't have a great feel for what's going on. Clearly, there were some major changes. Just the way he looked at football was, I mean, as you saw in the game last night with Andy, Andy doesn't care what size you are. Uh, if you can play, he'll find a way to coach you. Like Chip is the complete opposite. Like he, he's not touching certain guys. Uh, meeting certain height, weight requirements. His scheme is so unique. So I think it was just kind of shocking. Uh, but then, like, one of the issues I had, he comes right in, and he was open to drafting, you know, like Matt Barkley. And, right. you know, being on the West Coast, you would just – just a casual person would think, well, Matt Barkley, that doesn't make any sense for Chip Kelly. And ultimately, looking back, even the information we have now, it makes no sense for Chip Kelly. But he was like open to, you know, it was just, I don't think he had a great feel for what it was going to take uh, in the NFL. And, and ultimately, my personal opinion is just, he's just a college guy. It wasn't a great fit. Uh, so I, I, I think there was just, he's just a different personality. I mean, everyone in Philadelphia, I'm sure, has Andy Reid stories of just him around town. I mean, he's just one of the better people in the NFL. 
and Chip's personality is just, you know, kind of the polar opposite. You, you mentioned that with Andy, you know, he he doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him really what size you are. If you can play, you can play. And with Chip, it was the exact opposite. Um, you also said Howie really liked to watch film. So my question is, do you think Howie, A, is he closer to Reed than he is Chip? And then B, would you say, uh, you know, he, he has the reputation as an analytics guy, but as, as purely a football scout, just in terms of like his ability to evaluate talent, um, from being around him, I mean, how confident do you think Eagles fans should be in, in his ability to do that? I mean, I, I think they should be pretty confident. You just look at the, what he's done the last couple of years mm-hmm. since he's been back kind of in control and clearly hiring the guys, Joe Douglas from, was he, I guess he was coming from Chicago, but he spent a lot right. of time in, in Baltimore. And I, I think the one thing that Howie probably doesn't get enough credit for either is when I was in Philadelphia, he was hiring guys that had been former GMs that had held high spots at other places. I mean, we had Phil Savage. I know Tom Donahoe still there. Like a lot, you look around the NFL, like not a lot of people do that because it can be, you know, it can kind of expose your insecurities as a GM. This guy might take your job. Uh, so I, I think they have a really, really strong scouting staff. I, I thought that when I was, there in Philly, we had a really, really strong scouting staff. And you just look at his ability to just land players. I mean, the most important player by far is a quarterback, and he gave the franchise a chance with, you know, big-time talent. And he really, he didn't – it's not like he gave up four straight first-rounders. You just look at that trade alone, staggering those picks. I mean, that's pretty genius. You, you mm-hmm. don't see that happen that often. Like, I, I was – I mean, that's that is smart. I mean, that's really smart. I don't know how many people would have that in the back. And then this year, the ability to trade a corner for a top corner, and it's not like they gave up that much. They didn't have to give up a first-round pick. And I, I think what really benefits him is his experience in Philly taking advantage of when he traded for Asante a long time ago or Jason Peters. Like, you can get guys in other organizations – for, you know, at the time, which may be a second or a third or a fourth round pick, but then he becomes like a three or four time pro bowl to you, pro bowler to you. It's actually kind of stealing, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it would have been worth way more than that. So what are some times from, you know, when you were with the team in the draft room preparing for the draft, what are maybe some hits or misses you remember personally from your time with the Eagles or you think, all right, wow, that was a great value pick by Howie and, you know, in the scouting department or some players where you guys were sure he was going to be a hit and then it just didn't work out? I, I do think, I mean, it's one of the probably, you know, more laughed at picks probably in Eagle history was the Danny Watkins pick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's crazy because he was probably one of the more, it felt like in the draft, one of the more higher floor players. Just because when you look at that guy that's probably not quite athletic enough to play tackle, but it's going to bump into guard that is a tough guy in theory. You know, usually those guys, they may not be a Hall of Famer, but they're not going to be out of the league in like two years. And. Uh, that one was, I, I didn't see that one coming. But I, I think that shows you the inexact science of whenever you're dealing with people. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, and again, this goes back to the Carson Wentz thing. Uh, just the organization, you know, probably gets pigeonholed around the NFL as being a, uh, you know, an analytical driven organization. And I, I think I saw someone tweet yesterday that Jeffrey said something about like fourth downs how they go off the chart or something. 
So it, yeah. it kind of feels like that's just the aura around the organization. Would you say that's fair? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like to, to fill the listeners in, I mean, yesterday, Jeffrey talked about how they basically study fourth down all offseason. And then when they get to the games, I mean, some of it is Doug's feel, but they've almost made that decision. And I would agree in general. I mean, this is, I think, partially from when Chip was here, too. But they're an extremely forward-thinking organization in the way they deal with analytics and, and uh, scouting and all that, for sure. So they were, they were like that. When 100%. Were yeah, and I and look at and even deeper than that's probably why Jeffrey has loved Howie from since he was like in his twenties, right? Just because that's the type of personality Howie is. But I think when you look at like a specific example like Carson, one of the things I remember reading quotes or watching like press conferences that Howie used to say about Carson was he really reminded him of Brent Selleck, just the toughness that type of guy. So I, I think especially his understanding. For an analytical guy, and back to my Billy Bean point, like I never felt Billy gets enough credit for Billy has a great feel for the type of people that he wants in players. Obviously, it has to mesh up with some of the numbers, but just in terms of character and the way guys are wired, like, and I think they saw that in Carson. So it wasn't just the prototype physical attributes, whatever his completion percentage is, or whatever all that crap was just the person, the toughness. And clearly he's assimilated, you know, it's pretty clear he's a Philadelphia type guy. Yeah. So I, so, I think, I well, think how he specifically in the front office gets that. So you've mentioned Carson a few times. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. Uh, I think people in Philly, you know, are pretty high on Carson, but from, from afar and as a former scout, what is it about Carson that makes you so sure he's going to be a franchise type quarterback? To me, whenever you watch like a first or second year quarterback, you kind of still watch them like a draft prospect. You know, you're looking at physical attributes, arm strength, size, how he moves, uh, all the cliches, like can he make all the throws. And you saw flashes like as a rookie. To me, the transition from North Dakota State to just be able to start as a rookie, I mean, that's pretty crazy when you think about it. And it's not like he had been a four-year starter. I mean, he hadn't really played that much. And then I just the flashes you already saw in the preseason, like the one play at Green Bay where he bends over Clay Matthews, he kind of shrugs him off and then makes that throw. I know the guy had an incredible at once the ball was in his hand, made like broke like two tackles and made a guy miss and scored a touchdown. But that ability in the pocket, I mean, it doesn't take Bill Walsh to see that he has big time NFL talent. And then everything I've heard from, you know, from Howie, from his coaches, from just watching Carson from afar and listening to him talk. I mean, clearly the work ethic, the intelligence, the way he carries himself, which is a huge part of sustaining and becoming a big-time quarterback. I've seen it in the Bay Area with Derek Carr, that you just kind of bet on those guys. Now, are they all going to hit? I, I, I don't know. You know, obviously, you hope, you know, you keep your fingers crossed, guys like that stay healthy. But if he stays healthy, I, I just don't see how he doesn't become a really good player. You know, it's just he's when you look at the vision, he's physically obviously he's not as good yet anywhere close as Kirk Cousins, just in terms of production. And he's not he hasn't played with the talent, but just physical attributes, they're not even in the same category. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you look at Eli, obviously Eli's won a couple Super Bowls and had some big time moments. But just a young Eli, if you're just comparing the two, I mean, Carson moves a lot better than him. And just from an arm strength standpoint, is has a more powerful arm. Now, the one knock, he, his, his release can get a little loopy. It did last year. 
I, I haven't really studied this preseason. It just seemed like it was a little more compact. I, I do think sometimes, just like anything in life, these kind of resort back to muscle memory. So that'll probably be a hard habit to really break out of them. But I'll bet on a guy that has embraced that it was a problem and they definitely spent time working on it. So I, I think it is possible that they can kind of shore that up. And then, you know, him and Dak should be the, you know, be battling in that division for the next, I don't know, 10 plus years. So, so last question for, uh, let you get out of here. So obviously it sounds like you're pretty confident in how he obviously went, but another, uh, hot topic around here is Doug, um, Doug Peterson. So obviously, you know, got interviewed only by the Eagles last year, probably not a super high coaching prospect when he was hired, but what, I don't know how many Eagles games you caught last year, but what, what's kind of your take on Doug from afar? And, uh, do you think he, he has what it takes to be a successful NFL head coach? You don't think I was like, was I the opposite of Mike Lombardi on Howie? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, do you think he's the least (laughs) least qualified guy in 30 years? (laughs) I mean, I guess not. You must like him a little bit if you don't think that. But, you know, what do you think of him? You know, my personal relationship, and I know I saw Lombardi say, you know, I don't know him, I've never met him. I I knew Doug, obviously, being around him pretty closely Mm -hmm. those two years working in the office. Uh, I I thought he was just as a human, high-level guy. Yeah, he was a grinder, like from that Andy Reid school. I mean, he was one of the first guys in the office. Clearly, he's. I mean, these quarterbacks, especially a basically with a lifetime backup, the amount of studying, the amount of understanding the offense. Because I saw one of the knocks that Lombardi said that he just like took Andy's offense and just brought it to Philly. Well, I mean, you watch Andy's offense. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Now. Is he going to be some dynamic head coach? I don't know, but having the one thing that Lombardi is, and I like Michael Lombardi, just I don't know him personally. I like his stuff. Mm. I think he just was a pretty over the top on just saying Doug was the least qualified. Like I, I live in the Bay Area, I saw Jim Tom Sula. Like J- Jim Tom Sula could barely speak, let, let alone coach the football team. Like I, I don't know if Doug's going to be a playoff coach. You know, some luck involved in that. Obviously, injuries. We'll see through experience and get more dynamic as an in-game play caller, second half adjustments, and all that BS. But, but Mike Singletary in the Bay Area. I've, I've had a front row seat to just some of the biggest laughing stock in league history. Doug is Doug is nowhere near any of those guys. Now, is he going to be a good head coach? And that's really gets back to the record, right? Are they going to be like a playoff team? I I don't know. But I don't think he's just going to be some catastrophic failure. You know, I, I think I, I'd be shocked if they're not in the mix to be, you know, what they were last year, seven and nine, eight and eight. And if, you know, he's if he does turn out to be good, then, yeah, maybe they can be nine and seven, ten and six. But to me, the way he was talking about him, it was like he's going to win three or four games. Right. That's no chance. Yeah. And then, like you said, I, 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 I think, think he's, I, I think he's a solid coach and, and clearly players like him. And he, he's been around just too many good football coaches as a backup, which is basically like a pseudo second coach to not just be this bumbling idiot like Lombardi talked about him. It's just it's just not true because I've seen bumbling idiots in Jim Tom Sula. They're, they're not in the same and having known Doug, they're not in the same world. Yeah, and as you mentioned, if Wentz is as good as people 
think he could be, that's obviously going to help Doug out quite a bit. So thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, take a little more time than I asked for. So I appreciate it. And like I said at the beginning, uh, you can check John out at The Athletic in the Bay Area. And then also you have a new podcast, so the Haberman and Middle Calf podcast. And they can catch that on iTunes. And uh, where can they get that at? Yeah, you can get it on Vsporto or iTunes. I, if you follow me on Twitter, I tweet it out every day. It comes out multiple times, so I'll, I'll keep cool. you updated. All right, cool. Thanks so you, much, man. I, I really appreciate it. I, thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. And li- like I said, Doug Peterson, L- Lombardi was <laughs> Jim Tom. Just think Jim Tom Zula. Whatever you think Lombardi is uh, talking like that about Doug. All right, well, I'll relay that message to Eagles fans outside of this podcast. I'm sure they'll be very happy to hear that. So (laughs) thanks again, man. Thanks, man. Have a good one. 